Welcome to episode nine of Talking Total Talent. Um, for those new to Talking Total Talent, this is a podcast and video series um, that uncovers and unpacks all things total talent management. So we include everything from um, perm, temp, hires, internal mobility, direct sourcing of contingent and more. Um, this week, I'm really pleased to be joined by Mark Lindley. Mark's worked as a HRD all over the world and offers some great insights for both TA leaders and HR leaders on how to engage with uh, HR leadership. Okay, let's get stuck in. Welcome to this episode of Talking Total Talent with me, your host, Ben Satchwell, and I'm really, really pleased to be joined by Mark Lindley this week. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, Ben. Really, really good. Excellent. Good stuff. So as ever, with uh, Talking Total Talent, we'll get straight into it. Um, Mark, why don't you give us a, a bit of info on your background to start? Sure. Um, for me, I've uh, been in human resources leadership for around or just over 20 years. Uh, I've spent the last 12 years in the Middle East and Asia. Uh, my wife and I decided to go for a sea change back in 2008, thought 12 months would be great. 12 years later, we're, we're still there. And uh, uh, we came back uh, to Australia in uh, January uh, this, this year. So uh, it's been a phenomenal journey. There's been a tremendous amount of uh, uh, career discovery, life discovery uh, as an out outcome of that and uh, you know during that time I've been very fortunate to work with some some great companies some great brands some great leaders um, shared a lot but boy did I learn a lot and that's the exact reason why I got in touch with you so I think there's always lessons we can learn from being in different geographies overseas and in different companies and industries as well and bringing that all together especially from a HR director's point of view yeah uh, overseeing not just talent acquisition but the whole thing so that's great um just there's a bit of a scene set on a really high level. What are, you, what are any broad lessons you could share that you notice working in different um, different countries? Uh, look, it's it's a great question and interesting. Somebody I was in discussion with somebody uh, about that very thing uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think what it is, uh, especially if you're looking from a, an HR perspective, the mechanics and technical aspects of HR don't really uh, change. You know, some uh, company, uh, sorry, some uh, uh, countries, you potentially have uh, local nuances and government regulations, but broadly speaking, it's it's the same. The biggest, I would say, impact um, is uh, the cultural understanding or the cultural intelligence. Um, uh, operating, I, I've worked across uh, when I was uh, last twelve years. I've probably worked across about. 20 different uh, countries in uh, three different continents. And one thing is everybody moves at different paces. So um, it's not just about um, being able to develop a plan and execute it. It's also intimately understanding the players that are going to be involved in those, those projects. Um, the latitude of um, uh, maybe um, uh, decisions that they, they will or will not make, um, the pace that um, uh, certain uh, cultures move at. So it's balancing. And when you're going cross-country, so you, you're trying to manage four or five countries uh, uh, across the same sort of finishing line, uh, then it's very important to understand the, the detail of those, those, those cultural, um, I guess, uh, variants. So I think that that would be uh, one of the major uh, aspects. And... Um, 
you know, get in and, and, and fully immerse in those cultures. And it's not just country cultures, but cultures of that organization or cultures of, of that, that business. Um, the, the greater you leverage off local knowledge, uh, the more successful um, the outcomes are going to be. Uh, excellent, excellent. And um, another scene setter I just thought of actually is, why don't we touch on types of organizations that you've worked for? Um, you can name them if you want, it's up to you. Sure. Um, and also uh, variants and sizes of teams that you've led. Yeah, absolutely. So before I moved uh, uh, as, a, as an expatriate, before I moved in 2008, I uh, was living in uh, Sydney in Australia, grown, grew up in Sydney, Australia, and worked in Sydney, Australia. Um, probably two areas uh, or three main sort of industries I worked. Just before I left, I was working in health services. So I was working for a government statute uh, called Hearing uh, Australia. Uh, before that, I was working in FMCG, uh, uh, quite a large, uh, I had an Asia-Pac responsibility uh, for a company called Sarah Lee, which was Sarah Lee Dowie Egberts, now is uh, Tyson Foods. And uh, before that, I was working in uh, education for a uh, Japanese uh, education uh, provider, uh, which was a company called Kumon. So uh, last role before uh, departing Australia was in, was in health services. Uh, when landed, 2008, very different times, uh, as we all know. And uh, so my, my first role was Group HR Director for, for Emirates. I worked within their uh, security division, uh, which as they called Emirates, Emirates Security. Uh, that was a headcount of uh, about 35,000 employees, um, had a fairly large team. Uh, in HR, I probably had direct reports was, was probably about nine, uh, but uh, highly transactional type of, of operation. So in total, there was about 300 in the team. Uh, from Emirates, then I, I worked in, um, uh, for a US firm in private equity. Uh, they specialized in the oil and energy space. Uh, they were on a huge um, tour de force of making uh, uh, multiple acquisitions, small, medium, large, from from uh, two to three uh, business operators, probably up to maybe 15 to 20 uh, was the general sort of size of the acquisitions that uh, they were making. I uh, was the vice president of human resources and uh, spent three years literally just traveling around the world, trying to catch up to the acquisitions to be able to airdrop in and start working through uh, some of the due diligence, but also to how that's going to be integrated. Um, and then um, pretty well everything you did uh, had to go back to the to the US. So um, part of my time was in Dubai and part of my time was in Houston, um, Texas. Uh, and then from there, I moved into G4S, which is a global security and facilities uh, business. Um, I was the group HR director for Middle East and Asia. Uh, when I took on the, the role, it was a headcount of 55,000 employees. And I think after about uh, in, in that region, and then um, after about two weeks, I literally got an email saying we're merging with Asia and it's going from 55 to 220,000 employees, um, you know, good luck. And so uh, it, it has been quite extraordinary, um, the, the types of businesses that I've worked with. Um, I've been involved in uh, intimate operations with, as I was saying, in private equity, two to three people. Uh, right up to sort of large scale um, uh, businesses, headcounts and, and everything that falls under that uh, from an HR responsibility. Um, and a very, very large team working in human resources. Uh, in South Asia alone, there was 
110,000 employees. So it was a phenomenal size uh, operation and that was predominantly in uh, India. So uh, I always say there's a book in everyone. I think that there's uh, a couple of books in, in my journey today. All right, let's dig into a few chapters then. So, that's sure. good. so um, the, the podcast is obviously on talking total talent and total talent management. A um, couple of questions to start. Uh, based on your strategic role as a HR leader, there is a lot, an awful lot that will be on your plate strategically. So not just talent acquisition, but the whole breadth of the HR um, responsibilities. How important is talent acquisition and how heavy is it on your radar when you've got so much going on in such a big organization? Sure. Look, um, for me, it's, it's number one. Um, I think when I move into a, into a role, um, you know, the, the first thing is I make sure that payroll's working, which is great. Everybody needs to be paid. Everyone needs to receive their benefits. But uh, usually that, that's going along well. Talent is, is, is the number one focus because uh, it can cause uh, the greatest disruption to business. And uh, whether you're looking at specialized roles, whether you're looking at volume roles, um, it's, it's critical to the business. So for me, um, you've got to have the right players with, within the team that they understand the process uh, end to end. Um, that it is very detailed orientated and that it is, um, uh, when I say heavily, very, very much on, on the process mapping. It's, it's a formulated approach. And if, you, if people don't understand um, every detail of that project um, from what I say bang to flash, then you're going to, to have challenges. Um, and and that's, so that's one facet of it. I think the end, then the other, the other facet of it is, um, especially if you're working for large organizations and they don't have to be super large, but you know, reasonable organizations, you need to quickly understand, um, you know, what, what is the, the mobility? Um, are there people that are looking or, or employees that are looking for internal opportunities that isn't provided and so therefore they leave? Um, is, is that quite a vibrant or uh, vulnerable part of, of the business? Do you need to continually start to look at the fulfillment externally? So I think that it's, it's getting to understand what's the bench strength and, and sort of skills uh, within the business and, and what's required for the business. Do we need to look at um, uh, further development? Um, and do we need to complement that with the external market? So that's where I think that's the area that we get into the, the strategy side. Um, and then I think the third would be the methodology. Um, I found that talking with different people in the TA space, the talent acquisition space, is that they get sometimes a bias to, look, we only promote from within or we only develop from within we, or we want to bring out, you know, we want to bring in external talent or we want to, we want to blend it. We lose a, use a little bit of technology. It's all technology. My, my view and my experience is, is that it has to be a complement of, of all facets. So it's, what do we do internally? What's the external market? What uh, potential technology can we use to leverage the, the best, not only for processing, but also too for forecasting and, and predicting. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's important. And um, you know, that, that also needs to be conveyed to the hiring managers. So they don't, under, they don't just sort of see it as, okay, there's a vacancy, so let's fill it. There's, there's more complexity under that and you've got to get that right. So you touched on a couple of elements of TA there. Um, I'd like to put a stake in the ground. What's your definition of what total talent management is? 
total talent management. Um, I was, with total talent management, I was probably going to say the, 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 the obvious. It's, it's, it's end to end. It is the, to me, it's the employee life cycle. And I think that there's facets of, of the employee life cycle that initially people may not feel that fits under that um, talent management, uh, but it does. It's, it's going from uh, uh, the external market, um, if you're bringing in externally, through to the onboarding, through to the orientation, through to the development, through to the ongoing uh, uh, development, and then through that sort of emerging leaders or promotion um, uh, aspect of the business. But I also think talent management, um, which does tend to get left off a bit, is uh, when you have talent that for whatever reason are exiting, exiting the business and how you manage that is very important because People may drift out for 12 months, but they could be great talent to bring back in uh, within uh, 12 months. So I think it's the, the point of entry and the point of exit uh, for, for talent. And it's also too, um, it's making sure that it is, as that journey unfolds or goes along, it's supporting all of the strategic uh, requirements for the organization. So it's important having great initiatives in talent acquisition um, uh, that, that um, sort of for, for uh, other businesses approved and tested, but may not be the right fit for the organization you're currently working within. Yeah, great. There's, there's one element you actually touched on that this is episode nine, and we haven't actually touched on this in all the previous episodes. So I'm going to head in that direction a little bit, is the offboarding side of things. Um, so where this question stems from, I work for a, a HR technology provider, and um, Sadly, because of the pandemic, we saw a lot more need for offboarding solutions and maintaining relationships. I'm thinking, we work for a major airline group, obviously the airlines, they stood down, you look at what happened with retail, hospitality, tourism, and areas like that. These are industries as well, though, where, and if they couldn't um, follow them, it's, they want to keep that engagement and bring them all back on as this vaccine gets rolled out, etc. Um, so, any tactical tips or experience that you can share with us on the best way to do offboarding? Uh, look, um, offboarding, uh, as I'm sure you know and have experienced and heard, Ben, you can do it a great way where, um, you know, or when I say a great way, you, you do it in a mature way where you're looking at saying, okay, yes, you know, for whatever reason, we have to let people go. Or yes, the reason people are leaving is because the business can't sustain. Now, either way, it doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity to talk to those people down the track to bring them back in as the business changes uh, or, or goes goes in a, a different direction. Um, look, for me, uh, I'm, I'm, I've always been a big believer in building uh, talent pools coming into the business and also keeping connected to talent pools um, as they leave the business. Uh, I guess um, areas that I've looked at to introduce, especially being on the alumni, um, and I think sometimes people go, oh, well, look, you know, what, what, what does that actually mean? Well, uh, you know, if, if, if you're uh, uh, offboarding uh, people and, you know, they've, they've been a great contributor to, to the business, um, it doesn't have to end there if you're an organization that may change within 12 months time having people within an alumni, uh, getting newsletters out to them, keeping them updated, um, uh, and, and also inquiring, you know, what, what's happening from, you know, now they're, they're out there. Um, and, you know, it makes it a greater, uh, it's, it's much greater to sort of access those, that talent um, in the event that you need to bring people in. So 
definitely build the talent pools, definitely keep connected, uh, build uh, an alumni. Um, and, um, you know, un unless there is a, a dire reason that you would not want somebody to come back in into the business, always consider people that leave the business as great talent that may come back into the organisa organisation at some point. Okay, cool. So we've, that, that's, that's great advice. And we've touched on a little bit around uh, sort of this end, external hiring, so um, casuals, etc. Well, you mentioned internal mobility, and I'm going to go back to that. I've got a few questions on that to come that's just percolating in my mind. I was just making notes. Um, and then we talked about offboarding. Uh, within this um, sphere of total talent acquisition and management is the hiring of contingent workforce. Um, has that ever sat under you, or has that always been in procurement in the organizations that you've worked in? Uh, look, it always, for me, it's always sat in, in, I guess, uh, my area of responsibility in regards to ensuring that we get the, the right skills or the right people on the right jobs or, or, or projects for, for that defined time frame. Um, look, uh, I think with procurement, of course, you, you're having a supplier agreement and uh, they'll, they'll want to go through a tender process. But um, uh, I've always said to, to people in HR, don't let them take that over. Be, be a partner with procurement on that, make sure that you give your recommendations and, and if you need to push back, push back and, and give good good reasons. I mean, at the end of the day, procurement have got a job to do and like most organizations, they've, they've, they've got to meet audit, audit requirements, but you can still be an active part of that. I think with uh, contingency workers, um, it, it just, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things uh, that I think with contingency workers. I think the first thing is, um, is, is if you're getting it into the sort of senior level or the project base, you need to be really clear before you bring people in or talent back in or talent into the business exactly what is uh, involved. It needs to be crystal clear. It's not a job description. It is we have a, we have a role, we have a time frame, we have a set of objectives, we have a set of milestones, and this is what we want to be achieved. And even if you bring that to sort of more frontline or more business as usual type uh, um, uh, activities, still take that sort of same approach or that sort of same framework. Because what happens is the uh, contingency workers, they come in, then after a short period of time, if they're not um, led well, if they're not managed well, then all of a sudden they become um, a high cost, uh, <laughs> you know, that quarter and people start saying, what are they doing? Uh, we're paying this money out. Um, what what is what, you know? What are the results? What are the outcomes? So I, I think that even before going down that pathway, be really crystal clear on what you want people to come in and do, um, and for how long you want them to to do it for. So that's one aspect. But I think the other aspect, if I could could say, is that uh, different businesses I've seen with contingency workers, they have a very polarized view. So. Mm -hmm. Um, in the sense of saying, well, they're external, so they're not part of the business, or they're contracted, and they're not part of the business. And uh, I've had this from different people at different levels. And I said, here's a, here's a good way to sort of look at it. The moment they walk in the door, they're our responsibility, and they're part of our team. If you adopt that, it, it shows to them, and they feel more engaged, and as an outcome, they want to be part of the team, and they become more productive and more of a value decision uh, for the business. Yes, it's really interesting to hear. Um, I've just thought of a question as you were talking related to 
not just what you said, but your experiences. So all over the world, essentially. Um, in episode one, we actually had Link Markham. So he was based in the US, uh, VP of Contingent Workforce for BP, the oil group. Um, we were talking a lot about direct sourcing of contingent workers, um, that those size programs of, you know, a billion dollars programming to spend, et cetera, um, uh, programming spend. So direct sourcing is uh, uh, mature in Europe, would probably be a fair comment, is emerging in North America. And we're having conversations here about it in Australia and New Zealand as the programs get bigger as well. Do you have any thoughts on actually direct sourcing contingent workers in compared to the other alternative being using staffing agents? Uh, look, I have. Um, there's been, uh, as part of you know, my involvement in strategic reviews, uh, the, you know, you're always looking at cost efficiencies um, and the, you know, the financial aspects of, of it. Um, I'm not going, I, I wouldn't say there, uh, actually one is better than the other. And the reason I say that is, um, you know, for some businesses and even, um, business opera, uh, business, um, operations within organizations, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to do the direct staffing. So if you take that, uh, uh to, to start off with. So they're, they're advertising, they're promoting, they're getting people in, they're interviewing that, that whole sort of chain of, chain of events. Um, and I've seen that work extremely well when they have dedicated teams and there's the, the, the activity that keeps it going full time. Where I see direct uh, resourcing not work is that when they have a spike in activity or a spike in project and they say, right, let's just pull a couple of people off, build a project team and get them going. And it takes them so long to wind up. Um, it takes, um, uh, you know, uh, a certain period of time to, to actually um, get to, you know, to the volume or the requirements needed, then they've got a down tool. And so I guess in short, or in summary, what I'm saying is direct uh, resourcing works if the business is prepared to dedicate a team to do that. And you don't need dedicated team if you have the ongoing uh, activity. Um, conversely, if you were looking through, um, you know, uh, an outsourcing or, or that uh, agent, um, you know, it, again, if you've if if you've got the activity, if you've got the volume, um, you're you're very clear on what you what you need. It actually sometimes can be more cost effective because you're not pulling high value people off to get into working at sort of lower value um, activities. So it is strategic. I think there needs to be a, a, a bit of a, 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 di a deep, sorry, a, a deep dive into what what is the actual needs of of the business. So um, I think there's merit in in both, but don't do it half-hearted. Don't say direct sort resourcing, um, and you don't have people in place uh, uh, to execute it. Yeah, definitely, it's that curation component. That's um, uh, yeah. pretty. That's great to hear because it's consistent in these these types of things that I'm hearing that side of thing. Um, I do want to transition now to talk, talk about internal talent mobility as well as part of total talent. Um, I was fortunate a couple of weeks ago, I actually moderated a workshop with um, 50 practitioners, uh, HRTA practitioners in it, just focused on employee mobility in a certain sector. Um, so it's quite fresh in my mind. Um, there's loads that we discussed around that, but what came up a lot was the challenges around internal mobility. Um, and um, I'm keen to get your views and while you think about the challenges, I'll share with you the main takeaway that I, I, I took from the workshop I ran, which was um, the legacy perceptions of internal mobility are 
uh, impacting the view of what it is today. So basically a static register where you put the employees you don't want anymore in your team on. So that was the, the big challenge, number one. And then the second one was an organization's uh, visibility of internal talent or lack of visibility. So therefore not knowing who and what they've got. So, um, and the reason this was on the agenda um, was because we've seen a drive for internal mobility from, from our side and um, during the pandemic as well, where people have really had to, you know, bunker down and understand the talent they've got and how they can mobilize them. So a bit of a long scene setter, but I'd love for you just to unpack your, your views on internal mobility as a whole. Sure, sure. Well, look, as, as you know, Ben, um, uh, if, I, if I start very sort of top level, I mean, uh, some organizations are going to have fantastic opportunity for internal mobility. I mean, if you go back in time, I, I don't want to say what decade or, or whatever, but if you go back to, um, I guess, a time or an era where you were working for a large multinational and part of your development or opportunities was to really work in different offices, be within that country or, or around, the, around the world for good cause. Um, if you look at just, you know, if I just sort of delve a bit deeper into the area that I've been working in for 12 years, you know, if you looked at um, uh, internal mobility um, in the Middle East, it was very much businesses, uh, multinationals that wanted to get fast acceleration and fast traction. So it made sense to bring in experts within the business, airdrop them into different parts of, of the Middle East and, and, and build it up. Um, so there, there are those sort of uh, aspects of it. And then if you come back fast forward uh, to pretty well today, um, that's probably been consolidating more and more. There's cost aspects, there's technology that has that, that, uh, uh, meant that, you know, you don't have to travel around so much, um, but also too, there's maturity in the markets where, um, you know, you don't need to bring in such high profile or, or high weighted individuals to work in the businesses locally. So I think that that's one, one sort of area. And I don't sort of see that, I see that that's a decline um, for, for those sort of businesses and, and will, will um, over time, but other opportunities um, for engagement will, will surface to, to, to moderate, uh, moderate that. I think with internal mobility, um, you, 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 I think you mentioned that uh, some, some people do it well, some, some people don't, don't do it well. You know, if the culture in the business is we're going to move somebody into special projects, which in turn means that in three to six months they're leaving the business, then nobody's going to take up, you know, those, those, sort, of, those sort of opportunities. Um, if internal mobility is on the basis that people are moving individuals around because they don't want them to work in the team, um, maybe management can't manage them, uh, there's a whole, whole series of, of reasons. That's not a good culture to have. But if you have and develop a culture with internal mobility where you genuinely say or see that we have a series of individuals, they've performed really, really well. They've got great skills. How do we uh, cross train? How do we bring that knowledge across other parts of the business? How do we engage them more to be more involved with, within the business? Then that sort of thinking and that sort of positive culture for employee mobility works. So my view would be, uh, and, and as, as I have done this is I go back and, and I say, right, well, you know, when I, when I look at the sort of strategy of employee mobility, I say, right, okay, well, what are we looking for and what are we trying, trying to achieve? Um, if there's been failures, if there's been crash and burns, if it's people that others just want to move around within the business because they don't want to manage them, it'll never work. But if there's a genuine, how do we build 
um, uh, a way that we can, uh, as I say, cross-train, um, that, that those moving within the organization can build on their skills, be it project skills, be it leadership skills, be it negotiation skills, financial skills, then that's, that's a positive. So if you're building on the skill sets and you genuinely see that that's a, a strategy for the development of the individual, the team and the business, then, then that works within employee mobility. Yeah, awesome. A couple of keywords I took from that, culture three times and level of engagement as well. So that's, that's, that's really great. Um, so we sort of talked across all the facets there. Um, and again, I'm going to go back to one of your early comments about internal and external more broadly. And you did mention technology as an enabler underneath that. Um, and, uh, you know, technology does enable just strategies that are already in processes with the people that are already put in place. Um, our, our audience is made up of HR leaders and TA professionals as well. Um, I'm going to play a scenario out with you. I've decided for this one. So let's say... Um, you have a head of TA who's leading a TA team of 10, hypothetically, I'm making numbers up. If they wanted to make a new acquisition from the H uh, of talent technology, from a HRD's perspective, what information um, would you want them to come to you with or what would get you excited to approve something like that? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm always a bit of the devil's advocate. So I think my first question is, so why do we want to do this? You know, um, and I and I'm being a, a bit uh, tongue in cheek with that. But you know, what? Well, why do we want to do this? What What are we trying to achieve? Um, I would like to see from uh, the the TA manager or the team or the lead or the, even the whole team. Usually, I like to get the whole team in and 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 present. Is um, have you done uh, what you feel is is a, a very clear and concise process mapping of of what happens in talent acquisition? Have you define, uh, identified what's working well? Have you identified what has not worked well? Um, and more importantly, if areas that you've identified are not working well, what, it, what is your solution? Not just in technology, but are there things that we should be doing more of, should be doing less of, we should be changing, we should be, should be divesting. So they're, they're the things that I would like to see. Um, where I would get concern is where, um, and I have seen this, there's presentations made where they turn, uh, you know, people will turn around in that presentation and say, this will solve all our problems because all of a sudden we can process faster um, or we can mitigate these issues or we can respond to hundreds of people a day without, you know, having to sit down and email out, whatever, whatever that technology is. Um, because technology by itself is, is, is not the solution. The solution is, finding the right technology and how us people, humans, are going to manage it and use it, use it best. So I think that you know, they're the things that I, I would like to sort of see um, as an outcome. But I think equally or sometimes more importantly, you know, I go back to that. So why do we want to do it? What do we want to achieve? One thing in the talent acquisition side uh, that, that um, you know, I've been working on for years and many others I know have been working on for years is how can we tell the future? How can we predict better um, or more accurately what we need? If there are skills that we will need in five years time, what do we need to do today for us to start identifying what those skills uh, will be? What do we need to identify with internally those skills that we, we may already have? So, you know, getting into the sort of enterprise analytics, uh, getting into the people analytics, is key. The only caveat I would say is 
uh, don't look at uh, solutions that are, that are going to generate tens of thousands times more information if either A, you don't need it, or B, you don't have the capacity to process it. So you have to be very laser focused, especially when you're looking at, at the analytics. Um, and also too, technology, it's no point in looking at technology that um, is, is going to be what I say is your, your virtual historian. Uh, technology is not about telling you what did happen, even though you should learn from that, or what reports you can generate, or what you can leverage out. Because as we know, the moment you do a report, it's redundant because it's changed. You know, somebody's left, somebody's joined, there's, 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 there's changes uh, already gone, gone into place. So I think it's understand that, but more importantly, how can you use it as a, as a predictor? And adding on to that, that's the, the value proposition, as I would say to TA teams, is that's the value proposition Then you can take up the line to your, to your operators or your state, you know, operational stakeholders. Because what they want to know is they want to know what I need to understand in the future. What do I need to be aware of? What are the risks in the future? Don't tell me my situation today because I know what it is. So they're the sort of, I guess, sort of hard questions I would be putting back to the teams. Great. And I'll make a snippet of this on social media and all the TA leaders can say, well, we heard it, we heard it from the HIV's perspective, which is great. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I think just as a, as a uh, I guess, to reiterate, you know, don't look at te technology as how well you can draw in historical facts or current facts. Look at it as what can it tell us that either we don't know or information that can help us predict. But also too, looking at the, the, the end play or the end game, which is what can we use for, for better service delivery and better value, but what can we take up the line to the ops um, uh, heads and stakeholders? Because uh, you know the, the, they're going to buy into uh, TA telling them things that, that that's going to help them project and forecast as well. Yeah, great, great. And um, those who've listened to a few episodes now uh, would know I always steal a phrase or copy with pride as I've been calling it. And I'm going to take with me the virtual historian. Um, Please uh, do. Yeah, no, I quite like that one. It uh, brings it to life quite nicely, the, the phonetics and the meaning behind it all, which is great. Um, all right, so this, the, the final few questions are uh, around I created called the loaded question round. Mm -hmm. So um, essentially they're the common reasons that I hear holding back TA leaders or, or HR leaders, whoever it may be, from um, going on the journey of total talent acquisition or management. Um, so they're sticking to the traditional way. So I'm going to fire those three questions at you and I'd, lo I'd love to know your, your view on that. So loaded question number one. Um, I don't have the time and or resources to implement a total talent uh, solution. I don't have the time and I don't have the resources. Well, I don't think I've ever worked in an organization where they have the luxury of time and an abundance of resources. And, and, and if they do, you need to be getting across that pretty, pretty quickly. Otherwise, uh, you know, powers to be up the line will, 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 uh, will, uh, take, take that over. Look, I've been in uh, many different situations um, where uh, unrealistic timelines, no budget, no resources, and, and all the things that you could potentially sit down and say, this is not going to work. But one of the things that I try and push out as much as possible is at the end of the day, you've got to work with what you've got in front of you. And that's what's going to make you a good leader. Okay. Anybody can work within the scope or space of abundance of funding, abundance of resources and getting everything that they want. I don't want to say that life's like that, but you know, in, in your job, usually it's more like that than not. So 
your value is going to be working with, with what you've got to the best ability. And that's not saying, uh, I think when I say the best ability, you need to be careful saying, um, well, I can only do it to a certain limit because that's all that's, that's available. Um, but you know, you, you need to be able to work with, with what you've got. And if you focus more energy and, and thought on if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. You'll start to come up with a bit more innovation. If you sit there and look at it and continually dwell on the, I will never make it because this is all I've been given. There's a great chance that you'll fail from the beginning. Great, great answer. Um, maybe question number two. Uh, I am concerned about the change management component to moving to total talent. The change management in the uh, in uh, putting in place a total talent management strategy. Okay, so look, the, th the thing is with with change is as as we know it's it's constant. Actually, change is now business as as usual, and it'll continue. You know, the the days where you used to change and say, okay, well that should be good for three years, and then let's review it is 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 over. I mean, change, uh, as I say to a lot of people. Now you just need to look at it as change is not, you know, a cyclic event every year, every month, every week. There's things that are going to happen uh, every every day. On the talent acquisition, as most functions in HR, there are some uh, what I call staples that you you can plan for, and there also is going to be a, a, a series of areas that that you can't. Now, in the areas that you can't, you need to start putting in your uh, channeling your experience and your I don't say best guess, but your best view on what it could be, okay? Because we're in a time where dealing with ambiguity is, is just part and parcel of, of the role. What I would say is in that talent acquisition strategy, get the fundamentals in place and get the fundamentals working really well. What's the reality? We're gonna bring people into the business. We're going to have to onboard them. We're going to have to induct them. We're going to have to develop them. And um, you know, uh, as I was mentioning, that full employee life cycle, we'll, we'll promote them, we'll create opportunities, uh, we'll review them, they'll go on succession planning, and hopefully there's a bit of L&D thrown in there so that, so that uh, it keeps them engaged as well. They're the things that you can put a structure around, but you do need a contingency. You need an area that's actually going to say, and, and I've, I, I've, I've counseled and coached uh, teams in this, and I've even done it myself. I say, look, this is what will be happening. And this is what we're not sure. But in the absence of being 100% what will happen, these are the areas that I believe we should be focusing on. And that's gonna be a stronger uh, value proposition when you're presenting back your TA strategy. It's okay, you don't have to know 100%, but in the event that you, there's a 20% you don't know, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, great, okay. Um, Lady question number three. Um, I'm not sure if a total talent acquisition strategy is right for my uh, particular company and or industry. Okay. Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't know, uh, broadly speaking, I wouldn't know a company or organization that, that wouldn't unless it was, you know, actually, no, I was, going, I was going to say unless it had three people in it, but, you know, usually you're fine if a business has got three people in it and the end of the year they want to have 100 people, then they need a good TA uh, strategy. Look, I, I'm, a, I, I'm always a big believer in, the, in the, the, the word why. I mean, if I was talking to stakeholders or management or the CEO or the MD and you're sitting down and they say, look, I don't believe that we need it, let's not invest in it, I would be going back to the, okay, so 
can you share more on why you feel that 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 would be the case for the business is it because you do not feel we'll, we'll be looking at growth uh do you feel that um there'll be no changes do you feel that there'd be no respectfully uh, there'll be no attrition do you feel that you know the the external influences in in um in the talent talent market won't impact us we won't have people leave we don't need to keep them engaged all, all of those sort of facets i think you need to tease out why usually people will say why because either a they don't understand what it's going to look like um or uh you know b um they haven't actually seen uh, a talent acquisition strategy that works so um I, I would be concerned if somebody says it's not for our company and it's not for for our organization if your business is growing you need a talent acquisition strategy total uh if if you're uh i was going to say even if you're winding down you need a talent acquisition or a ta strategy as well for 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 uh, m a or for for any aspect or transformation than that so um i don't know if it's as, as robust answer but my question would be would be why and to sort of pare back or peel back more um you know what overall is the strategy for the business great i think that's a, a great point to conclude on um, Mark, where can people connect with you? Are you active on social? Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, so uh, I'm more than happy to talk to people, communicate, to, to network. Uh, um, I, I always look at ways that I can help, um, you know, in the HR community, outside of the HR community. Um, I'm at the moment, uh, you know, doing a bit of coaching. I'm doing a bit of pro bono work, um, uh, keeping myself uh, active. Um, but I'm more than happy for anyone to reach out and, and uh, connect. Uh, HR in itself is a fairly sort of lonely industry, and sometimes it's just good to bounce something off somebody and say, "Do you think it's a, do you think it's a good idea, or how do you think we should promote it, or is there anything I've left out, or what do you think?" I'm more than happy for people to reach out on that basis. Great, awesome, and thank you so much for me. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you, man. Uh, the insights. Cheers, Matt. All right, great. Have a great day.